0: Why don't, we, uh, why don't we go ahead and get started if you want to fill up on coffee and food and now before we uh we dive into uh, into the book of hebrews uh, we're going to start that next week in hebrews one there's a uh, I think it's important because of the theme being Jesus is better now, live by faith. I want us to talk about faith because I think it's something that is misunderstood. Um, and so let's take a look a bit about uh, what faith is and, and what it's not and so forth. So, thinking about the significance of faith, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, um, some of the most uh, uh, powerful verses and famous verses of the New Testament, which says that. We've been saved by grace through faith, and and faith is is so crucial. It's so um, it's so foundational to what we believe and to what Christianity is. We we talk about Christianity as not being a religion, but one of a relationship, which is the result of our faith in Christ. Um, John three sixteen, the probably most famous verse of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, whoever has faith, that's the same word, whoever has faith shall not perish but have eternal life. And so without faith, we're lost. We're not saved. We're still in our fallen condition. But with faith, God rescues us. And so faith is so crucial to that. Uh, there's a couple stories in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48, it tells a story of a woman who was, was bleeding for 12 years. And, and she had a problem. She had, she had an issue. And she, she reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And, and Jesus felt this, something come out of him. And he looked to this woman, who touched me, he says. And, and she says, I did. And, and the response is, your faith has made you well. Uh, Again, later on in in Luke 18, it tells how a blind man was healed. And again, Jesus says the same thing. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want to be clear about this. It's not the power of faith. Faith in of itself has no power. Faith is really this more of a matter of where will you put your faith? That's where the power is. Um, For example... Suppose I were to walk out onto a sheet of ice. And that sheet of ice is uh, about half a centimeter thick. But I have all the faith in the world that it's going to hold me. What's going to happen? Are you saying I'm overweight? Is that, is that the problem? <laughs> I got faith. I believe it, though. I believe I'm going to be able to, to stand on this ice. Does that matter for anything? It's wishful thinking, yeah. It doesn't matter. No matter how much faith I have, I'm still going to go crashing through because it's not my faith that holds me up, it's the ice that holds me up. Now, if that ice is, is 10 feet thick and I step out onto it, and I have very little faith, will I go crashing through? No. No. So it's, it's not a question of, of the, the faith that I have as much as what I'm putting my faith in. That's the issue. So here, where he's saying your faith has made you well, it wasn't the faith in and of itself. It was the faith in who, in Jesus, in Jesus that made them well.
1: When Peter was walking on um, the water, mm-hmm. um, and he was speaking of Jesus, that event, like it's like against the natural, the like, the natural way of, because the water.
0: That's right. But, but who is he putting his faith in? In Jesus. And then he got his eyes off of Jesus. And now where, his fa- where is he park- parking his faith? He's now putting his faith in himself. And guess what happens? Down he goes. Uh, uh, there's a misconception out there that there are those who have faith and those that don't. The reality is everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. We as Christians, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Jews... They place their faith in the law. Muslims they faith they place their faith in their abilities to to um, complete the five pillars of Islam. Um, even atheists have faith. Their faith is that there is no God. So no matter who you are, you have faith of some sort. So the question is, who are you, or what are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in Jesus? Are you putting your faith in a person? Are you putting your faith in yourself? Are you putting your faith into a religious system? Where are you placing your faith? So we all have it. Where are we placing it? That's why the the author to Hebrews is saying, you have it. Jesus is better. So put your faith in him. So let's understand before we, we really get a grasp on what faith is. Think about what faith is not first. And the first thing it's not, it is not wishful thinking. You know, some people, they put their faith in faith. And if I, if I had enough faith, then this would happen. If I just believe enough, then that's going to make this happen. I can have all the faith in the world that I'm going to grow and be six foot six. And you know what's going to happen? Not going to I'm not going to grow. I mean, I'm done growing up. I'm now just growing out. So that's, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to grow anymore, no matter how much faith I have. So some people, they have this idea that maybe if this will happen, then that would be great, so that I'm going to put my faith that this is going to happen. Well, that's, that's hope. It's not faith. It's at, you know, at best wishful thinking, but it's, it's, not, it's not faith. Uh, another one is it's, faith is mind over matter. The idea of just having a strong willpower. So just, just believe it, and it will make it happen. Um, you know, some, some look at it as, uh, you know, there's ignore the facts and just believe what you want to believe. And, and that will make it come to truth. Isn't that denial? And that's denial, yeah. It's, that's not what faith is. The other one I have here is faith begins where science and reason end. A lot of people have this understanding of faith that science takes me to this point and where science doesn't explain it from here on forth, I now believe that by faith. This is where I now exercise my faith. Uh, Mark Twain, the, the famous writer, um, he, uh, he says faith is believing something that ain't true. That's his thinking. That's his, his personal idea. So it's, it's believing in something that ain't, isn't true. And, and so that's what a lot of people think faith is. It's, it's a fairy tale because you're putting your faith in something you don't understand. That's not faith at all. Faith really is saying, I, I do understand. I do have trust. That's why I'm putting my faith in it. You see, what we're doing is we're putting our faith in a person. We're putting our faith in God. We don't know what he's going to do because we can't control him as much as we wish we could. He's God. He's going to do what he wants to do. However, we do know his character. We do know the kind of person he is. And so when we're placing our faith in him, we're placing our faith in that person, in the character of Jesus Christ. And that's why in the book of Hebrews, he's stressing who God is, how he's better. Now put your faith in him. So it's not putting our faith in something that is hopeful or wishful thinking or something we don't even understand. It's something that is tangible, something that we do believe. Uh, Another misconception of of faith is the idea that I don't have enough faith, that, that I'm only limited in my faith. Well, again, your faith is not needing to be powerful. Remember, Jesus says all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. Something that is so so small. The reason being is because it, the power is not in your faith, but in what you're putting your faith in. Um, yes, Daniel. Didn't God just didn't God give us ancient manure? I think so. Yeah. So the question is, where do we park it? Where do we put our? What do we put our faith in? Um, to illustrate it, how many people have seen um, uh, Indiana Jones and the? Last Crusade, or maybe it's the second Last Crusade, because now they made a new movie. Uh, how many people have seen that movie? I'd be going back a few years. It's, it, I'm going to show you a scene from that movie. He's, he's, he's on a mission, um, mission from God, I guess, to, to get the Holy Grail. And he's got he's to pass through three, three tests. Um, and we're going to look at the third test, where he's got to cross this, this enormous gorge. Uh, uh, or... Um, I don't know, valley or something, whatever the word is, in order to get to the other side to to get the Holy Grail. So we're going to watch this clip. And I want you to look for the kind of faith that, that Indiana Jones has. Okay? So how much faith did Indiana Jones have? Was it a lot? Was it little? It was enough. It was enough to get him to step out. But, was he confident? No, oh, he was, he was terrified, but he was at least willing to step out in faith. And so, what if he believed that he could get across, but he just sat on the sidelines? How much faith would he have had then? Well, I think he'd had zero faith. Faith is the idea that it's there and I'm going to trust it. I may feel nervous about it, but I'm willing to step out onto it. And, what little faith he had, notice he didn't go crashing down. Why not? It wasn't his faith that kept him up. It was the bridge across that kept him up. The bridge across that supported him. Right? There's a great story in, uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12. It's where Peter is, uh, is arrested and he's put on trial. And all the Christians back home are nervous. What are they worried is going to happen to Peter? Now that he's been arrested. He's going to die. And so the Christians get together in their house church, and they they begin to pray. And what do you think they're praying for? So that Peter won't die. Peter won't die, right? That's a good church, right? Pray that our friend doesn't die. God, will you please release him? Will you rescue him? Will you bring him back to us safely? That's their prayer. And they're getting together, and they're having an all-night prayer session for Peter's safety. Well, this is the story where Peter's in, in prison, and he thinks he's having a dream when an angel shows up. And the angel begins to un- open the door, and he's walking out, walking right past the guards, and nobody's doing anything. And, and he's kind of thinking, this, isn't, this is crazy. But he gets out, and he doesn't realize it's not a dream until he's out, and he's past everyone. Well, guess where the first place he wants to go? Who does he want to visit? His friends. His friends. So he makes a direct line to these people that are doing what? For Peter. his release, right? He comes, knocks on the door. Girl gets up, she opens the door, and who does she see? Peter. You know what she does? Scales Screams, the slams the door. It's a ghost, it's a ghost! And comes running back to tell everyone. Now, what was she just praying for? for Peter
1: to be released.
0: And then when she saw Peter's release, what did she believe? Didn't believe it How much faith did they have? Not much. <laughs> but did God answer it? Yeah. yeah. He still answered it. So it's not, it's not the amount of faith you have. I really want you to understand that. It's not a question of do I have enough faith? No, that's not the question. The question is where is your faith? And if you say it's in Jesus, then you've got to live that way. You can't say one and then live the other. Because then you're proven that you don't have that faith. Does that make sense? So what is faith? The the traditional definitions, as we're going to get to later on eventually, in in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, that's really in many ways what Indiana Jones faced, right? He didn't see the bridge, but he was convicted. He was convinced that there was something there. And he was hoping, so he steps out onto it. Uh, a, A great definition of faith, I think, is really in Romans 4. And it tells us the story of Abraham, and how Abraham, how he was hundred years old, his wife was ninety years old, and God says, "You're going to have a son, you're going to have a child for the very first time." And when Sarah heard the news, what did she do? She laughed. She laughed. And you know, as a ninety-year-old woman, you might have laughed or cried um, if you heard that news too. Because uh, why would you cry? I'm So happy. Uh, <laughs> A lot of women at 90 don't want to have a kid. (laughs) Um, But but she laughed. She thought it was ridiculous because she'd never been pregnant. And now at 90, I'm going to have a child? How ridiculous is that? So how much faith did they have? At the beginning, not a whole lot. But yet they still trusted God. Yet they still stepped out in that. And we read about here Abraham, who without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. He didn't ignore it. He didn't pretend, well, no, I'm really only 44. I'm still a young man, and and Sarah's womb is great. She just got a transplant. It's okay. We're just going to ignore the reality, ignore the facts. No, he did. He understood the reality. I'm 100. She's 90. She's barren. She's never had a kid, but God said it. Okay? And so contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God. Meaning, this are the facts, and this is God. Where am I going to put my faith? In my body, or in Jesus? And so he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. So his faith grew. He he started taking that that really tentative step. And okay, it holds. And now I'm going to take another tentative step. And wow, it's holding. And stay giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. That to me is faith. That what God has promised, what God has declared, that who he is, And what he said he's done and going to do, we then trust that he's going to do it. That when the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is better, we then put our faith in that person. And so at this point now, Abraham's not running out doing any more games. He's not trying to have a son by any other means. He's now trusting in God to provide that heir through Sarah. Does that make sense? Now, I also want to see, there's some other things about faith that I don't think we often talk about, but I want you to see. Faith is often linked to obedience. There's a strong connection between faith and obedience. Uh, Let's take a look at a few verses. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, believes, has faith, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So here, notice it says, he who believes has life, but he who does not obey. I mean, you would expect if he's doing this, if you do this, but if you don't, then this will happen. You'd expect, but he who does not believe. Because that's the That's the comparison. But what he's done is he's, he's made the, the connection between belief and obeying. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Um, uh, Acts 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And so they were becoming obedient by believing. Romans 1.5, through whom we have received grace and the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And then Romans 16.26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. We see this phrase over and over again, obedience of faith, obedience of faith. Now, let me, let me show you something. It doesn't say the faith of obedience, but rather the obedience of faith. If it was the the faith of obedience, that would imply that it's our hard work and our effort and what we do that's leading to our faith. And that's not it at all. It's the obedience of faith. So it starts with our trust. It starts with our depending upon Him. And that leads to the obedience. See so what I want you to see, essentially what God's looking for is He's looking for us to trust Him. And if you trust Him, you're obedient to Him. If you don't trust Him, you're being disobedient. That's what its obedience is about. Not about have you given your tithe? Have you attended church? Have you combed your hair the right way? Are you reading from the right Bible? Are you, that's not what obedience is about. I mean, part of that might be, might be obedient, you know, especially when it comes to the NIV. I mean, that might be obedience. There's a rough crowd here tonight. <laughs> a lot of NIV readers out there, I assume. Um, it, it's, it's more a question of who are you trusting? And if you're trusting Him, that's the obedience. Yes. Yeah, a big part of it, absolutely. It's dead. Faith without action is, is worthless. Yeah.
1: I guess I think of the obedience of faith, for me, it's in prayer. In,
0: in prayer, we pray and we have faith that God hears our prayer. I can relate to God in prayer. Yeah. In prayer, you're trusting He's there and He cares. Well, if you're praying at that moment, you're trust. you may have you know, sh- you know, shaky faith, much like Indiana Jones did when he stepped out onto that bridge, but you're doing it still. And that's the key. You're taking a step of faith no matter how shaky it is, but you're still doing it. I always thought if I was praying with a lack of faith, it wasn't good. Hey, you're praying. That's what he's looking for. You're going to him. That's what he's interested in. Right. Um, turn in your, in your Bibles to Hebrews 11 and verse 6. It's the case of uh, the fall, fall classes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hebrews 11 verse six says without what faith, Faith, it is impossible impossible to what to please God. You know what I think we think this verse says sometimes? We think it's impossible to have, it's impossible, sorry, without pleasing God, it's impossible to have faith in God. I think we get these two mixed up. And so our approach becomes now, am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I pleasing God enough? And if I am, then that shows that I have faith in God. And it doesn't start with the pleasing God. It doesn't start with the works. It starts with faith. And that faith, real faith, authentic faith, is going to lead to pleasing God. Because that faith is trusting God. For what? For Him to live in and through us. And if Jesus is living in and through you, guess what you're going to do? You'll please God. So this isn't something we we try to do. This is just a byproduct of faith. Yes. But also,
1: just to address what you said, authentic faith has to be rooted in actual promises of oh God. It can't be just something that you are conjuring up.
0: No. It's yeah. Not- well, think about what Hebrews 11.1 one says, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And so we read the Bible and we see the character of God. We see who God says He is. And now we understand His character. We understand His heart. And so I go to Him trusting that this God is who, who He says He is. That He does care about me. That He's interested in me. Now, how He answers that prayer is up to Him. I mean, no is still an answer to prayer. It may not be the answer I want, but it is an answer. And so we go to Him, and that's what He's looking for.
1: And how we enter into that prayer, it doesn't really matter. like if, Because you can enter into that prayer or um, talking with God, like knowing that He is it, but, but sometimes you... like. Like in the end' you know, like you enter in fear mm-hmm. because, because you have a situation that you are that you are really scared of mm-hmm. so but that doesn't mean you don't have faith that means that you are depending upon God that's what you are calling on.
0: Yeah. It just means your feelings are anxious. that's all. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't change who he is it doesn't change the fact he's in you. Uh, you may feel like he's not listening to you but he is and you're talking to him and that's what he's looking for stepping up faith. Um, so, there's this connection with faith and obedience. Um, and the obedience is the act of trusting Him, the act of stepping out uh, in faith in Him. And when we do that, we please God. But trying to please God to show you a faith, you've got the cart before the horse. And what you end up happening at this point is now you're focused in on, on fulfilling the law. And you're, you're, you've, got, you've got the wrong kind of system at this point. So it starts with faith. Faith is our part. I love how Hannah Widoll Smith puts it. Basically that faith is man's part and God's parts to do it. And that's what we saw in Romans 4, right? That that Abraham was fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to perform. He was able to do it. So Abraham was saying, I trust you God for you to do what you're going to do. So you and I what we do is we trust God to do what he said he's going to do. I'm right now trusting that he's going to, to teach through me, that he's going to provide the words to say to you guys, and I'm trusting him to then decipher what I've said and make sense to you guys. And thank goodness the Holy Spirit is the interpreter of tongues and, and will make it real to you. I'm trusting in that. Uh, I'm, I'm trusting when I go home that Jesus living in me will love my girls, will love my wife, because I can't love them the way they need it. So I'm going to trust Him by faith to pull that off.
1: So we can trust God that He will through you and through us we,
0: we, will, we are receiving. Absolutely. So this is our part. That's right. Our part is to trust God to make it real. Yeah. Because you cannot make us. Only God is going to use you. Yeah. There are times I wish I could. But you're right, I can't. I can't make anyone get anything. And I marvel at that. Because, I mean, I, we share, we share truths each and every day here. And I marvel when the light goes on. And people have that aha moment. And I sit back and say, God, you did that. I can't make someone get this. This is your truth. And by faith, I'm trusting you to make that real. So I step out in faith and leave the results up to him. And part of that faith is patience. Yeah. That may not happen. No. Because yeah. it's God's deal. He does it His way, His timing. And, you know, we, we sometimes get so discouraged, but we forget that, you know, the story's not over yet. We're in the middle of the story, not the end of the story. And God knows what He's doing and what He's up to. And so we wait. That four letter word of Christianity, wait. I think that also be,
1: the, the obedience goes so like, connected with faith just because. Because sometimes we see things that we, we are desiring something, but God does something else. And He answered our prayers. He answered everything. But, but not sometimes according to our will, but His own will.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that, that often happens. What He's looking for is stepping out. That's the obedience part. In me stepping out. And, and, and putting my foot on that bridge. Um, of putting myself out there. And trusting that he's then going to do what he said he's going to do. That's, that's the obedience part. That's what Marco was getting at about live. Live what you believe. Well, if you have real faith, then you will live. If you really believe what you profess to believe, then you'll be obedient to that. Then you'll do it. But it starts with faith. It starts in believing. It starts in trust. And then I step out. And that's the obedience. Does that make sense? Well, that's what faith is. It's me trusting him and not trusting in myself. That's what letting go is. All right. So it's not the faith of obedience, but the obedience of faith. It's not starting with obedience. It's starting in my faith that leads to the obedience. All right. If you, if you turn your page, uh, there's some different quotes of, of note, I thought, on, um, <clears throat> regarding faith. I thought they were interesting quotes to include. There's a lot of them. We're not going to read them all. But, but some interesting ones, one by Oswald Chambers. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not, un- not understand at the time. And so I don't understand what he's doing. How many people have been there? Where you thought, God, you know... I would have done it differently. I, I would have you know played the hero and rescued the person. I would have uh, not lost a job. I would have healed the person. I would not have had that child so rebellious. <laughs> I would have done it differently. How many people have thought that? Well, you're not alone. Because God is not someone easily understood. His ways are so much different than our ways. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So what Oswald Chambers is getting at here is the deliberate confidence. It's the choice I make. It's not easy. Paul talked about fighting the fight of faith. It's not an easy thing to do on the character of God. I don't understand what he's doing, but I understand his character. I know he's loving. I know he's faithful. And I know he's in control. And so I'm going to step out in faith and trust that. Even though I don't get what he's doing. And I wouldn't necessarily do it that way myself. Uh, Hudson Taylor, the guy who coined the phrase, the exchange life. He said, God isn't looking for people of great faith, but for individuals ready to follow him. Because what he's really looking for is that, that attitude of, I'm going to trust you. And that's what you're getting at, Marco, about live. Put your money where your mouth is. That's what he's looking for. That's what the book of James is about. Um Elton Trueblood, he said, Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservations. That's what you're getting at, Danielle, about letting go. I I implicitly trust myself to God that He can do whatever He wants. It's up to Him. And I don't know what He's going to do, but I do know His character. I do know He loves me. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to have any difficulties in my life, because life isn't about avoiding difficulties. Life is about knowing Him. And if it takes difficulties to know him, then so be it. But I trust him to to lead me on this journey any way he sees fit, so I know him. Uh, Rick Joyner, he said, We often think of great faith as something that happens spontaneously so that we can be used for a miracle or healing. We often think that way, right? That a great moment of faith is when, when something supernatural happens. However, the greatest faith of all and the most effective is to live day by day trusting Him. It is trusting Him so much that we look at every problem as an opportunity to see His work in our life. This is what Galatians 2.20 is about. That I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live today, in this body, moment by moment, I live by faith. Uh, William Barclay, for Paul, faith is always faith in a person. Faith is not the intellectual acceptance of a body of doctrine. Faith is faith in a person. So it's not just saying this is my statement of faith. It's Jesus who I put my faith in. Uh, Jeannie Guyon, she wrote, uh, if knowing answers to life questions is absolutely necessary to you, then forget the journey. You will never make it, for this is a journey of unknowables, of unanswered questions, enigmas, incomprehensibles, and most of, most of all, things unfair. And then uh, an anonymous one, uh, God always answers in the deeps, never in the shallows of our soul. That's the sense of maturity, going on to maturity. Um, that's what he's looking for. He's looking to mature us more than he is to make your life comfortable. Another aspect of faith I want you to see is this idea that faith is something that lasts to the end. Again, I think a misconception we've had about faith is it becomes a one-time deal. We pray to prayer. When I was six, I trusted in Christ. And we look at it as a one-time past action, and now what? And faith is much more than that. Uh, in John 20, verse 31, he says, But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, here we see the word believing. It's the same word faith in, in the Greek. And it shows up twice in this verse. This first time it shows up here, it's showing up as an aortist tense, meaning it's something that's happened sometime in the past. It's completed. We don't know when, but it was completed sometime in the past. So, but these things have been written so you may believe. You may have faith. Paul, or sorry, John wrote this gospel that we might place our salvation, our our, our saving faith in Christ. And you did that when you, whenever you receive Christ as your Savior. But it goes on and it says that Jesus is the, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now, this believing is a present tense. Meaning, is happening on a continual basis. It's not a one-time deal. It's something that is ongoing. And so the Christian life is one of continual faith. Of moment-by-moment faith. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 15:1 and 2. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand by which you are also being kept safe if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believe in vain. Now here we see a condition. If you hold, if you continue to believe. Now before I explain this more, I want to share a couple other verses that, that show the same idea. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Again, this believing is a present tense. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual belief. Romans 3.22, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Again, it's a present tense, continual belief. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God is well pleased through the foolishness of the message, Preach to save those who believe. Guess what tense this is? Present tense. Continuous action. Revelation 2 verse 20. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the danger might be thinking... Well, now I've just turned faith into the law. I turn faith into now I need to have faith. And if I don't have enough faith, or if I don't have the right faith, maybe I'm in trouble. And I now make faith the new standard by which I'm being saved. And, and that's not what he's getting at here. See, it's interesting. In Hebrews 3 and verse 6, it's for Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. The the condition here, it's in, he says we um, he's uh, Christ was faithful as his son over his own house whose house we are, past hence, if we hold fast to the confidence rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Or in Hebrews three fourteen we we for we are made partakers past hence already happened partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, it seems almost contradictory here. I mean, if, if it, this if was on the condition that we do it, then it really should read, for we will be made partakers if this happens. Do you understand my, 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 where I'm going with this?
1: That's because like, some, like, some people, that's why they, like, they read this, and they think that, um, that, that they, they can be saved. But they have
0: to do something. Often, yeah. And and that's not quite the nature of faith. You see, what's interesting is something is already happening, but it's based on something that's yet to happen. Now, obviously God can time travel, but I don't think that's the case here. I mean, I've ever seen TV shows where they they joke, OK, if if you one day create a time machine, then I, I want you to travel back in time at this moment and tell me you did it and, and uh, it didn't work. Yeah, I didn't show up. Right. So I guess I didn't create the time machine. Um, and, and so it's that sort of thing. That's not what God's talking about here. What he's saying really is is describing to us the nature of faith and and that faith is is real faith sorry i should say um legitimate faith is something that will last till the end that it is not a one-time flash in the pan but something that will continue Um, one more verse here in colossians one before before we explain this then Um, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blameless without charge in his sight If indeed you continue in his faith. Again, this this idea here might seem that it's a conditional if. But the if indeed is really a since. So he has presented you holy and without blameless, without charge, and it's like since you continue in the faith. So it's, it's an absolute guarantee that if you're holy, you will prevail. You will continue in faith. So, this, this element of faith, that true faith, is something that will continue. So, what do I mean by true faith? Well, I want to look at the parable of four soils. How many people are familiar with the parable of four soils? We're, we're going to go through this parable, and um, you can pick your own... Passage, which one you want to look at. If you want to look at Matthew, someone look at Mark, and someone look at Luke, that's up to you. You can pick your favorite gospel. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew. They're all pretty much identical, there's just a few little nuances here and there. Um, But this parable of four soils, I think, is an interesting picture for us to help us understand this element of what true faith is in terms of something that continues and it is ongoing. So in Matthew 13 and verse three, it says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seas fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the, on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. Luke says that there was no moisture. Others fell among the thorns, and thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So let's understand. He's going to explain it, and we'll, we'll read uh, how Jesus explains it as we go. But we're going to start with the soil that falls by the roadside. Now, the Romans were great. They, they made all kinds of highways and roads and byways. They were the first um, you know, na- uh, nation to really do that. And so this is, you know, the, the rocky stuff beside the road is kind of like the, the shoulder on our highways, where it's just full of rocks and so forth. And so the sower is throwing the seed onto the, onto the roadside. And so let's get Jesus' explanation of this here. So he says, hear the parable of the sower in verse 18. When everyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed is sown beside the road, so he's explaining the seed is the word of God. I'm not sure if he does that in Mark or Luke, but he explains that the seed is the gospel, the word of God, and the sower is in many ways the evangelist, the person who's sharing the gospel. However, the means is being done. But what happens when the seed hits the ground? The birds come. So here come the birds. They come and they're going to eat up the, the, the seeds before they have a chance to grow. And so how much fruit is it going to be? Nothing. And, and he explains that is that Satan, that's the evil one coming to snatch it away. So now we have to understand what's the soil? The soil is your heart. Your heart as a person. And so what we see here is this person's heart is very hard. There can be no penetration into the soil, leaving that word on the outside that Satan comes and snatches away. And so this person's heart is very hard. The word is stolen from the heart by Satan. And so this person never has faith. They never trust in God. So what kind of a person would this best describe? No. An unbeliever. More specifically, I think, really, an atheist. Someone who doesn't believe in God whatsoever. But, I mean, an unbeliever in general, yeah, I think that's that's probably the best description of one. Because there's no no penetration into their hearts and, and who they are as a person. They never believe. All right, well, let's go to the next one. What was the next soil? After the roadside one, there was the the rocky ground, the rocky soil, right? And so here's the one where uh, they they throw down the, the seed and there's a little bit of dirt. There's a little bit, not much. And what immediately happens? Immediately, the plant springs up very, very quickly. But it's interesting that Jesus notes that there's no root. Now, he explains it. He says in in verse 20 here, The one of whom seed is sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root, many Bibles say. Mm -hmm. Well, the word firm is added. It's not actually in the original Greek. What the original Greek says is there is no root. So how much has, has the word of God penetrated into the soil? Penetrated this person's heart. There's no penetration. None whatsoever. And so then when the sun comes out, that's the tribulation when uh, when there's affliction and persecution arises the word, uh, because of the word, he immediately falls away. And so this this tree which had, or the plant that had life very quickly withers and dies. Because there's no root, there's no moisture. And he explains it as as the sun, the heat, that's the trials and tribulations of this world. And so they seemed to believe. Their belief seemed to be temporary. But it wasn't really belief at all. And so what we see here is their heart is also very hard because there's no root. There's no penetration. When tribulation came, they left. They said, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not interested. And away they went. And they only appeared to have faith, but they never did. It wasn't real faith. It wasn't a faith that lasted to the end. So, who would this be?
1: Could it be somebody that hears the gospel and they're all excited and hungry, mm-hmm. but after a few days or a short time,
0: it, it may not even be a short time. It's temporary. It may last for years. But it's not real faith. Um, this, this would be um, Charles Templeton. How many people knew who Charles Templeton was? He was an evangelist for 20 years. And at the end of his life, or towards the end of his life, he wrote a book, Farewell to God. And in that book, he says, I never really believed. Now, he was an evangelist for 20 years. He seemed to have all kinds of fruit. But then when tribulation came, his faith was proven for what it was. The testing came, and we discover there's no root. And so really, this is describing a non-believer. We thought he was, looked pretty good at the beginning. But over time, it's proven to be not. Could be extremely religious, yeah. This is the kind of person that's going to come to Jesus on Judgment Day and say, Lord, Lord, I've done so many things in your name. And what's Jesus' answer going to be? Yeah. I don't, I've never known you. Not I knew you at one time and then you've, your faith failed. I never knew you. You never had real faith. It never penetrated your heart. It was all on the surface. It was all on the outside. And so there is no real faith. It only appeared to have faith. It was only on the surface, it was only temporary. Do you think it only appeared to that individual? Do you think it only appeared to other individuals or to that one as well? Do you think you can even appear to yourself and be fooled yourself? You can, but I, I think um, this person really doesn't have an interest in God per se. They, they have a greater interest in, in other things, but God is almost secondary to to what faith is to them. Um, and, uh, and and it could be it could be that they're deceiving themselves. <coughs> but um, but there's no real faith here. Yeah. That, that reminds me when the Lord says, "Your mouth is brave in me, but your heart is far from me." Yeah. We can say things with our lips. On the surface are. looks good, but there's no root, there's no penetration. And and I don't want to scare anyone on this one, but I I hear at times people say, "Well, you know, this person, so-and-so, they, they're, they're right now the prodigal son and so forth. And But you know what? They When they were six, they prayed a prayer. So I'm, I, I'm trusting they're saved. I don't want to scare anyone. That's not my point in this. But maybe when they prayed that prayer at age six, they didn't actually get saved. Maybe they didn't really believe at that point. I don't know. Maybe they did. It's possible. But maybe they didn't. And, and what we need to find out is, what, what do they really believe? What, what kind of faith do they have? And the only person that can answer that is God. But maybe they didn't have real faith. Because real faith will last to the end. See, the next one is a seed that's thrown among thorns. And what we see here is, is they grow up. This person has roots. So they have it there, and it says that the fruit never really came to maturity. It started to come, but it never came to full maturity. And the reason was because all these other thorns quickly grew up and suffocated it. And so it's described here, And the one whom seed was thrown among the thorns is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So there was, there was life, there was roots, there was, an, uh, was true faith, but they immediately got their eyes on everything else, the cares of this world. And so their heart is soft. They receive the message with faith, but they get caught up in the cares of this world. They get their eyes off of Jesus. Who does that describe? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say they will know you're a Christian by your fruit. It doesn't say that. No, it doesn't. it's a Matthew, that passage in Matthew. But it doesn't say that you'll know that they're a Christian by their fruit. In the context, it says you'll know if they're a prophet by their fruit. That's in Matthew 7. But, but what kind of person is this? A carnal Christian. Christian. They do have fruit. It just never comes to maturity. And so this person is a carnal or immature Christian. And this is a big part of who the writer of Hebrews is writing to. People who've gotten their care, thoughts, and worries on the cares of this world. Why? Because they don't believe in what God has said. They're not trusting Him. You compare that then to the final one, the good soil. Well, here now the the seed is planted and immediately it begins to grow. And it begins to to flourish. In fact, it becomes so fruitful that other plants begin to grow. And some 30, some 60, some 90 times over. So this is the one that's got all kinds of fruit here. And so this person's heart is very soft. There's all kinds of roots, all kinds of penetration. It's a very healthy plant because they also receive the message with faith. But this person has much fruit. Now, notice the amount of fruit varies. Some 30, some 60, some 90 times. So it isn't a matter of how much fruit you have. Even the carnal Christian has some fruit. It just was immature fruit. It never ripened. But this person's fruit is coming to fruition. Now what's the fruit? It's not good works. It's it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of Christ. His love, His joy, His peace, His patience. That's the stuff that's being shone through. And so this is describing the mature Christian. Now here's the thing what we do. The great danger, or one of the great dangers in this. We have that idea, you will know them by their fruits. And so we immediately then become fruit inspectors. And you know what? God never asks you to be a fruit inspector. The only reason why he's saying in in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruits, is when it comes to understanding teachers and prophets. You'll know these people are legit based on their lifestyle, based on what they're doing, how they're living their life. (coughs) So if the guy says, trust God, and he's got five different wives, what does that tell you? Don't give him your money. (laughs) Right? Right? Don't, don't listen to this guy. This guy's a little crazy. And you'll know him by the fruits. That's what that verse is saying there. But what we want to do is now judge, is the guy saved or not saved? And that's not what it's about. Um, Romans 14. In verse 4. Paul here says, who are you to judge the servant of another? Well, I'm glad Paul's a little meek and mild here, aren't you? Who are you to judge the servant of another? I mean, when we start judging other Christians, whose servant are we judging? We're we're judging God's servant. Who are you to judge, he says. To his own master, he stands or falls. Who's going to judge him? God will judge him. And oh, by the way, he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. So God's got him covered. Real faith, no matter how much fruit he's got, God will look after him. So don't become a fruit inspector in order to pass judgment on people. That's not what it's about. I mean, you can look at their fruit and say, well, maybe this person needs Jesus. That's something else, because now you're going to love the person but we often use it as an excuse to pass judgment to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And really what we're showing is the immaturity of our own fruit. So, we're not looking to judge other Christians, we're looking to love them. Does that make sense? At else's fruit, it be fruit that at, it? And it may not be legitimate fruit, yeah. All right. So the question then is then which fruit or which soil describes your heart? Now, I hope it's not this one. (laughs) I, I really hope it's not this one. I mean, you wouldn't be here if, if you had this one so we can, I think safely ignore the roadside soil, but maybe it's the Rocky soil. I don't know. It's not for me to tell you. It's for you to go before father and say, God, what's the condition of my heart? And if you're here, Well, God, have mercy on your soul. We don't want to talk to you anymore, right? I mean, is that it? No. If you're here, praise God you saw it. There's no judgment for being here. It's just this is where you're at. And far better to find out you're here now than on Judgment Day when you're saying, Lord, Lord, I've done all these works in your name. So if you're here, you're here. Just be honest with yourself. Let God be honest with you. And that's okay. And if you're here... Then receive true faith. Let it penetrate your heart. Maybe you find yourself here in the immature Christian right now. And again, if you're there, that's okay. There's no judgment on you. You're not a bad Christian. It's not a value statement on you. You're still loved and accepted as much as Billy Graham is loved and accepted. It's flat across the board. But if you're here, why not be honest with yourself? I think a lot of Christians, they, they want to think they're here. In the reality, they're here or maybe even here. And you're doing yourself no service by lying to yourself. If you're in one of these two soils, that's okay. If you're not at that point of much fruit, that's okay. Then you know then i got to do something in order to move on to that maturity. I need to continue to grow. What do I need to do? What options are in my way that I can move on to there? And if you're here, Wonderful just keep on going. Keep on trusting. But I, I, I challenge you to go before God and say, God, what's the condition of my heart? I want to hear from you. And I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed with the answer because he's going to encourage you. He's going to strengthen your faith. He's going to draw you into more because the goal is to continue to grow. Because again, how many people have arrived? You've arrived, Danielle? No, I would ask you something, but I, I think sometimes I can be at different places, like not just at one place. I, I don't, I, I think...
1: Uh, depending on the day.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that's so much... Uh, I, I think I know what you're saying. Some days are better days than others. Yeah. Um, but I think what we see in these these four soils is more a, a general condition of your heart. And if you're, if you're you're if you think you're going back and forth between these two a lot then you're probably spending a lot of time here. That's you y- yeah, you can't go back and forth between these two. See, once, once you pass this from, from the, the rocky soil, and once you're here, mm-hmm. you can't go back. Because oh. true faith lasts to the end. You can't lose your faith. Right. It's impossible to lose your faith. That faith is there once you hit this point. Once you're at least the immature, uh, covered by thorns Christian... You got faith. This person never had faith. So it's not a matter of I've been progressing and then I've gone backwards and now I go forwards again. You might be able to go back and forth between these two. Um, but if you're going back and forth between these two a lot, then it's probably you've just been here a lot. And, and God's looking for you to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Yes, Betty? Uh, I was just going to say sometimes
1: uh, we, we are run by our emotions and we might think we're, you know, we're really. Having a bad day or something, mm-hmm. so our emotions kind of go into that instead of just trusting. That's right. Our faith is our faith, and it doesn't matter how bad or good we feel, God still died on that cross and still That's right. And, and and Satan likes to play havoc with our emotions. Absolutely.
0: And
1: mistrust what we've already done.
0: That's right. Christ. And that's why he's and he's going to accuse you, and he's going to say, "Oh, you're this immature, no good Christian," or maybe you're not even a Christian at all. And that's why you go ask Father. And say, Father, where am I? And He will tell you. And He will encourage you. Even if you're here, He will tell you in an encouraging way to lead you on to maturity. And if you're here, He'll lead you on to maturity. If you're here, He'll lead you on to more growth. Yeah. Marco. Do you think if uh, your condition is... is Controlled by your emotions, or how you feel is controlled by emotions. Can you, can you actually? Can you actually call yourself a mature Christian? Like if you're that person, and Satan's like, can hey, you actually be considered a mature Christian? Or let's be real, you're the you're the, the, the one before that. I, I would say this. Um Uh, I was, yeah I was thinking, Elijah was the guy I was thinking Elijah is I would say a very mature Christian, but he was all over the map emotional I mean he was going from Mount Carmel trash talking the the prophets of Baal thinking you know where 's your God is he in the bathroom and all that confidence to moments later oh jezebel 's going to kill me i better I better flee uh, i 'm in trouble and so here is a guy whose emotions were all over the place, uh, but yet he was a mature Christian um, I'll, I guess you have to then define the word mature. Well, I think it's someone that's showing fruit, showing the life, and life of God. Um, and it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a test to see who's got more fruit and better fruit and what kind of fruit and the color of your fruit because mm-hmm. it's not a competition between us. Um, it, it, it doesn't even matter what I think of your fruit because I'm not your judge. It's a small thing to be judged by any other person. God's the one. And, and so the question is, is, is he wanting to us to go on to maturity? And none of us have arrived. So obviously the answer is yes. But is it, be, I'm stuck here? Am I stuck here? Where am I stuck along this path? That's all we're, we're going to Father to find out. And uh, perhaps the more mature
1: we are, the more Satan can recapitulate with our emotions. Make us maybe think we're not. Uh,
0: maybe. Maybe.
1: Um, so things one, like I think that there is a lot of hope, um, because we are all in know, in different journeys.
0: Yeah.
1: And 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 that if we see it that way we will be more understanding and merciful and loving towards our other mm-hmm. fellow Christians because we are all in different stages of our journey. Yeah. And and God will decide when we go, you know, how, how deep or whatever God is in control of that and the other thing like kind of like a question like you, like would it, would it be fair to say that we can pray for people that are over here absolutely and then god wants everybody to be saved so, absolutely so god can soften their hearts and make that
0: that's right so they can be saved. absolutely here, here's the thing which of these two is a better christian the guy in the 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 thorny soil or the guy with the fruitful soil, who's a better Christian? Yeah, one's not better than the other. Yeah, you you pass you pass week one. They're the, they're equal because Jesus is in the both. So we get so hung up on oh I guess I'm not measuring up or I'm not good enough. That's not the point. They're, they're equal in value. They're equal in righteousness. It's just that this one has gotten his eyes off of Jesus and onto someone else and or something else. And and this one has taken to heart that Jesus is better. And he's believing the things he's professing to believe. I gotta do one more question and then we gotta close unless you want to keep asking questions, that's fine. But it's more of a comment, Ross, and I think it's um
1: I guess it's our heart to guard our When you look at the different soil conditions, and if the soil represents our heart, there's this whole aspect of guarding your heart.
0: So That's a pretty important topic. Yeah, I, I I don't know if the parable addresses guarding your heart in the parable, um, but um, obviously it is important to guard our heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. All right, next week we'll get into the book of Hebrews, which is you know, important to do in, in a class on the book of Hebrews. Um, so we'll do that, and, um, and so I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Let me pray before you head out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this tremendous book that we don't know who really wrote it and who he wrote it to, but we thank you that you wrote it. And ultimately you wrote it for us as well. And I'm trusting by faith that you have something you want to say to each of us in these next, uh, now, four weeks. May we hear from you. May you speak to our hearts as to where we are right now in our journey and what it is you're wanting to do. That we may go on to maturity. That we may go on to know you and experience life in you as you so desire. Because your son is far better than anything we can imagine. And so I pray, Father, there's anything that we're trusting that is not him. May you show that to us and begin to teach us to trust in you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.